I asked Sherry a couple of days ago, I said something like, do you think the church is going to be upset that I don't have a zinger of a Mother's Day sermon for them? And I think she said no, that, that they, they won't mind at all. And I thought she probably should have said no, Eric, they're, they're used to not having a zinger of a sermon from you, so it won't be anything unusual. Uh, <clears throat> But we, I really didn't have a passage of Scripture that the Lord, I feel like, had impressed upon me to share uh, just specifically on uh, mothers. So we're going to continue in the context here of uh, gifts, spiritual gifts, as we've been doing a study through that and also gone into discipleship a little bit, what it is to be a disciple as we talked last week about being and becoming or becoming and being a disciple. And... Um, <clears throat> Uh, that doesn't mean I'm not going to address some of that and, and speak about the significance of mothers and women in the church because I do hope to do that some today. We are inching closer and closer at a snail's pace to um, studying the gifts that are found here in Romans chapter 12. And we'll look specifically today at verse 2 but refer to some of these other verses as well. Let me read verse 2 for us. Romans 12, verse 2, it says, And do not be conformed to this world, and be transform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, again, we pray for your blessings upon your word as it goes out. May it accomplish all that you intend for it today. And we trust, Lord, that it will I pray, Father, that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection, that there might be some here today who realize their need for Jesus to save them, and that they are a sinner and desperately, Lord, in need because they are bound for hell. They're bound for an eternity under Your wrath if they do not repent and turn to, to You through faith in Jesus. And I ask You, Father, today, give grace that any who are among us that are lost and know that they need to obey the gospel of Christ, I pray, Lord, today that they would determine, that they would be persuaded, that they would receive Jesus as their Savior. For the rest of us, Lord, use your word, please, to build us up. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we uh, inch closer to this, we see in this, um, uh, in this context here, and as we get to these verses, particularly verses 6 and uh, through 8, where it talks about the gifts that are found here in this chapter. You might look down there now and see in verse 6 that he lists the gift of prophecy. He says, "...having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith." Verse 7, "...or ministry, let us use it in our ministering, he who teaches in teaching." He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And I thought about this a little bit in, re in regards to Mother's Day, and I thought about the women in the Bible who displayed some of these qualities in the church, perhaps in the life of the apostle as they ministered to him and helped him in the gospel work. But we find them doing this. For instance, we have uh, concerning prophecy in Acts chapter 21, verse 9. Philip, the evangelist, had four daughters uh, who, were, who were prophets. In Acts and Romans chapter 16, verse 1, or they prophesied, rather, in Acts 21, verse 9, they prophesied. In um, ministry, this service, we see Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, being a servant of the church of Sincrea. 
and, and teaching, we see Priscilla, the wife of Aquila, pulling aside, uh, he and Priscilla pulling aside Apollos in Acts chapter 18, verse 26, and instructing him more thoroughly in the way of the Lord. When it comes to exhortation, I wonder if the Rufus's mom of Romans chapter 16 was not an exhorter to the Apostle Paul because he says it seems that she was like his mom as well. Or Lydia in Acts 16 verse 15 where she persuaded Paul to stay. And then later on after being released from prison, Paul and Silas would go there and they would be encouraged again at Lydia's house. And then we think about Euodia and Syntyche in Philippians chapter 4 verse 2 who labored in the gospel with the Apostle Paul perhaps as those who were helping to lead. And then we see the beloved Aphia in Philippians chapter 1. I believe verse 1, who had the church there in her house along with probably her husband Philemon. So Aphia was one who was beloved. And we see perhaps these gifts being displayed in the lives of women in the church. If you turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 16, not very far from where we're going to be here in Romans 12. It was startling to me some time back when we were studying this in uh, on a Wednesday night, a couple of Wednesday nights, that of the 28 people that are mentioned in this uh, greeting or this uh, commendation that Paul gives at the end of Romans 16, of the 28, 10 of them are females. 10 of them are women in the church that Paul recognizes. The first one you see, Romans 16, verse 1, I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who is a servant of the church of Sincrea that you may receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of the saints and assist her in whatever business she has need of you. For indeed, she has been a helper of many and of myself also. And then in verse 3, you see greet Priscilla. That is the one that I mentioned to you earlier from Acts chapter 18. Priscilla and Aquila, her husband. Going down to verse 6, greet Mary who labored much for us. And then in verse 7, greet Adronicus, Andronicus and Junia. Junia there is a likely a female, a woman. And he says, they're my countrymen and my fellow prisoners. And then we go on down to verse 12. He says, greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, these likely being women as well, who have labored in the Lord. Greet the beloved Persis, again, a female who labored much in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother and mine. So they're greeting the mother of Rufus. And then we go down to verse 15. You see, greet uh, Philogius and Julia. Julia being a woman, Nereus and his sister. So greeting the sister of Nereus and Olympus and all the saints who are with them. Of this list, there are ten that are found here who are likely women who were serving in the church, serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope that our moms are encouraged by that. Not only our mothers, but all women who labor in the Lord and who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, womanhood in our day, motherhood, womanhood is something that is not to be 
thought lightly of, but it is something that is to be nurtured, cherished, encouraged, and promoted. You see, in this world in which we live, there is evil, there is wickedness in this world, and we're seeing this more and more in regard to the subject or the issue of womanhood and motherhood. In John chapter 7, verse 7, Jesus said, The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify of it that its works are evil. And so it is. You see, so often and too often in this world, the church can begin to look, look at, listen to, laugh with, speak the same as the world, act the same as the world, talk the same as the world, think the same as the world, keep company with the world, spend money on and view money as the same way that the world does, and even consume the things that the world consumes. In Romans 12, verse 2, we're seeing this, do not be conformed to this world. The title of the message today is on the cusp of conformity. Because I would say to you that we are always on the cusp of it, on the brink of it. And if we are not careful, we individually will become like the world, and we as a church will become like the world. We must always be careful and mindful of this. And now I will acknowledge, church, that to a degree, those who are married must be concerned about the things of the world. If you are a husband, you must be concerned about the things of the world in regards to caring for your wife. And if you are a wife, you must be mindful of the things of the world in regard to caring for your husband. Paul tells us this. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. So that is true. But yet that does not mean that we are to be a people who become worldly and to buy into the doctrines of this world. This, um, if I am transparent with you today, is probably one of the greatest fears, if not the greatest fear of my Christian life. I won't say it is for you, but I will say that it is for me. Because I struggle with this not being conformed to the world, but yet also understanding like 1 Timothy chapter 6 says that God has given to us richly all things to enjoy. And I don't know that I found the balance in that of not being conformed to the world, yet being able to freely and joyfully enjoy the things that Jesus Christ has given to us and enjoy them in Him. I admire the people who seem to have been able to find that balance. But I am continuing to search for it. And I'm always concerned and I'm always a little bit afraid that I'm going to fall to the side of conformity to the world rather than enjoying the things that God has given to us rightly in Christ Jesus. So that's the struggle that we have when it comes to this uh, thought of women and motherhood. There's probably no more prominent issue today in our society than that which faces women. Even being able to define what a woman is is a struggle in the United States of America right now. But yet we also have the sexual exploitation of women. But then we have feminism as well. And then we have men participating in activities that only women ought to be participating in, like men participating in women's sports in our society today. 
And we also find in our country, nationally even, our leaders rewarding, recognizing nationally and internationally men as though they were women like the women, uh, Woman of Courage Award that's been granted to a, a man. That's how crazy that we have become. There's six stages of evil. I've seen this several times. I actually saw it on Facebook yesterday. But that Dwight Lawrence has said that first we overlook evil, then we permit evil, then we legalize evil, then we promote evil, then we celebrate evil, then we persecute those who still call it evil. The church has got to continue to stand for those things which are true and right, whether our whether our nation, whether our leaders, whether the laws that are upon us say that it is right or not. The church must stand for the truth and hold it up always and forever. So, you know, the question is, in context here of spiritual gifts, is how will we ever use our gifts in the church if we are becoming just like the world? Can we possibly employ and exercise our gifts for the edifying of the body of Christ if we are being shaped by the world? You understand what I'm saying? It's ridiculous for us to separate verse 2 from verses 3 through 8. Verse 2 enables verses 3 through 8. Without us being transformed by the renewing of our mind, then we will not be able to individually employ our gift in the church to its, to its, um, the degree that it ought to go. So in Hebrews chapter two, verse one, the writer gives a good warning. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. The other day I went fishing. And the rope that I that I um, I was putting the boat in, I, I hooked the rope to the pier. I let the boat off of the trailer, and as I was pulling up, I thought, "Man, I don't see the rope going out there to the boat. That that's, may not be good." And I thought, oh, "That's not a big deal. It's sitting right there next to the pier. I'm sure I'll be able to jump into the boat if I need to by the time I get down there." So I went and parked the van. Um, I think Sherry called. I talked to her. I had to go back and get my sunglasses. By the time I got down to the pier. <laughs> I'd forgotten about the rope not being attached to the boat, it it seems, because it had broken, as a matter of fact. But it had drifted gradually. To begin with, I thought, it's not too far. I'll be able to grab it. But then it kept on going. Before you know it, I couldn't even get to the boat. I threw the rope out to try to hook it, but it wouldn't work. And I'm not going to tell you how I got my boat, but I did get my boat. But it drifted out into the lake. And it happened. It happened just a little bit at a time. And that's what happens if we do not heed the things that we hear and continually do so. Now, let's take a look at these. First point is this, and the outline is real simple. Number one is do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. The second one is this. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This goes right along with the verse, so there's nothing extraordinary in this handout. Number three is prove what is the will of God. Prove what is the will of God. Now, as we're going to see there in verse two, when it comes to proving the will of God, we see really three aspects of that. First of all, as we look at the will of God, we see that the God, the will of God is good. It is good. 
And we're also going to see in this that the will of God is acceptable. It's acceptable. But finally, the will of God is perfect. It's perfect, meaning complete, mature. So it's acceptable. It's well-pleasing. It's good. It is moral. It is upright. It is virtuous. All right? So now... Uh, With that being said, let's work our way through this quickly in the time that we have left. Verse 2, and we've already taken a a hit at this already, so I'm not going to get into it fully in every aspect, but we'll look here at verse 2, and he says, Do not be conformed to this world. With that in mind, I simply need to remind you, church, of some passages of Scripture that we need to heed to in every regard in regards to what a, who and what a woman is and what her roles are in life. Um, but in every aspect, we are to remember this. In John 17, Jesus prayed for His disciples. And He said in verse 15, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. John 17 Jesus didn't take them out of the world. And just like they were left in the world, we are left in the world. But the world is not to shape us. The world is not to sanctify us. The truth of the Word of God is what is to sanctify us. That is what God is to use and will use in our lives. And that's what Jesus prayed for. In James chapter 4, verse 4, James writes in this powerful passage, and he says, Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? For whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then... In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the scripture says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. You see, we must not be conformed to this world, because this is not who we are. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle writes, and he speaks about sin that is taking place in the church. And he said in verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in my epistle 
not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with sexually immoral people of this world or with covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. You see, that's what makes up the world. Sexually immoral, covetous, extortioners, idolaters. He'd say you'd have to leave the world. Verse 11, But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. You see, the church is to be different than the world. And that is something that we must never compromise on. And it is a battle that each of us daily must engage on. Not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. And that brings us to our second point. Because here, we've already talked about the metamorphosis of the word transformed. Where conformity is just changing around that which is there so that it is shaped in a certain way. But a metamorphosis, a transformation is a complete restructuring, remaking of, reforming of that thing. And that is the call for us as a church to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Ephesians chapter 4, here I'd like to read a passage. In Philippians 4, beginning at verse 17, notice how he talks here about the mind. And then notice how he talks about how as a Christian we are to be different. Here in this second point, we see that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Now, verse 17 of Ephesians 4, he says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. And then in verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. And notice in verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. And then in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians 2, you can turn over just a couple of pages. 
I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. You see, before we were saved, we had a knowledge that was of the world and of the old man, Adam. But when we've been born again by the, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we have a renewed knowledge that is according to that, well, that's according to the image of Him who created Him. And we are called, church, to renew our minds. To renew our minds. Uh, and by doing, when we are doing so, we're being transformed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, the Word of God says about the Christian life, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. You see, it's incrementally, but it's continually happening, happening in our lives as believers, as our minds are being renewed. Now, I want to pause here for just a second. Have you ever wondered how do you renew your mind? Now, I know the thing that we always go to to answer that question. We always go to read the Bible. And you know what? That's true. But Paul doesn't say that right here. And that's what's never set well with me about that. It's totally in the Bible. Okay, that's how we're going to do it. It's through prayers, through all these things. But Paul doesn't say that right here. That's why I'm uncomfortable saying the way you renew your mind is by reading the Bible. So according to the context here, what can I say from this scripture, from the context as to how you and I renew our minds and thus have our lives transformed? I believe the answer to that question is found in the first verse. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. The way that your mind will be renewed is by presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Because if you're presenting your body as a living sacrifice to God, everything that you think about, the way that you view everything in life, must be shaped by how God views it and how God wants you to view it. So the way our, our minds get renewed first and foremost is by saying, God, I am a living sacrifice and presenting ourselves to God as such, that which is holy and acceptable unto Him. If you don't do that, your mind's not going to be renewed. If you don't do that, you will not pray. 
If you don't do that, you're not going to read the Bible. If you don't do that, you're not going to go to church and be exhorted and encouraged by the brethren. If you don't do that, you're not going to go and serve in the local church and employ your spiritual gift. If you don't do that, you're not going to be a faithful witness unto the Lord if first and foremost you do not present your body a living sacrifice unto Him. That's what He's calling us to. That brings us to our last point. Prove the will, prove what is the will of God. <clears throat> now, um, <clears throat> you see here the last part of this that uh, there's three adjectives to describe the will of God it's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Over the years, I've gone back and forth. I remember when I was a young man at Concord Baptist Church, and one of the teachers there taught that this was three different types of will. This is, you could, you could prove what is God's good will, but then there's something better than that. You could prove what is His acceptable will, but then there's one that's even better than that. You can prove what is the perfect will of God. So it's like degrees of God's will. I've gone back to also thinking, well, it's just the same way of talking about the same thing. Paul's just added these different words in there just to kind of emphasize it. That didn't set right with me. None of those things have set right with me. And I've just tried to look at it a little more, and so here's what I'll present to you. Good is the idea of being morally good. It is good not only for yourself, but it is good for others. I don't have time to get into this because my time is, is running out, but it's the same word that's used about the good soil. Uh, it's the same word that's used about the one who is good in uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 15, who gives uh, good things to those who labor from the first or at the last. Uh, so it also in Luke chapter 12 talks about goods, things that people possess. So it seems like that this good will of God here is that which is morally good. It is right. It is good. It's helpful not only for yourself but also for others. The next word is the word acceptable. The word acceptable is a word that means, as I have up there, well-pleasing. As I looked at this word, and there are many references to it that I don't have time to go through right now, but in almost, I think it could be said in every one of these where this word is used, it's used in relation to being acceptable to God. So the good may have more to do with that which is done between men, men and women, people, while the acceptable means that it is that which is right between us and God. It is an offering, it is a sacrifice that is well-pleasing to the Lord. And then lastly is the word perfect, the perfect will of God. This simply means to be complete, to be mature, um, and we can realize that this is the same word like in Matthew 5, 48, where it says, be perfect or be complete as your Father in heaven is perfect. So there's this call for us to be complete and perfect like God. I wrote this out, that we have and serve a perfect God, and when we do His will, 
We are able to be perfect just as our Father in heaven is perfect. Now, you may not um, understand what I'm saying, so I'll give you a quick illustration. In Matthew chapter 5, he talks about loving your enemies. Let me ask you this. Does God give rain to only the people who love Him today? Does God give rain to only the people who love Him? No. He's quite consistent about giving rain to most everyone, whether they love Him or not. Who are we to love as Christians? Only those who love us? No. We're supposed to love our neighbor. We're supposed to love even those who do not love us, Matthew chapter 5. And when we do that, we are doing the perfect will of God. Because we are acting as God acts. We are showing the same characteristics that God shows. So that takes us back to the word prove. The word prove means to find out by testing in order to approve it. As a final illustration, when I, like, if I go to Lowe's to pick out some 2x4s, I know what a straight 2x4 looks like. And if I'm looking for some 2x4s, I'll get that 2x4 and I'll turn it up on its edge and I'm looking to see how much crown it has in it, if it has a crown in it. And I'm also looking to see if it's twisted. And if I look down that, I'm finding out by testing it as I look down it, and then there's some 2x4s that I'm going to cull, I'm going to put it to the side, but I'm going to keep looking. And when I see the one that aligns appropriately, I will take it, And I will put it in the cart. See, our minds are being transformed by being as they are being renewed, and as our minds are being renewed as living sacrifices, everything that comes across our lives, we test it to see if it fits with what God approves of, and if it doesn't, we set it to the side. If it fits, then we do it. We say it, we live that way. Does that make sense? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. I don't have any more to say in regard to this, but I thank you, Father, that you've given us instruction. Uh, Lord, because you love us, and I thank you again for the way this is displayed so often by our men and women, the boys and girls here at New Life Baptist Church. We haven't arrived. Father, we still need to be transformed, and we want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may find out, we may approve the the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And... Father, uh, we thank you for your word today. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope that your life is consecrated unto God through the gospel. As always, we encourage you, if you've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, to respond to the gospel in faith. Because if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, uh, then you cannot offer your body a living sacrifice. You must first know the mercies of God through Christ. And that mercy, to be summed up, is that Christ died for our sins. 
according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried. And that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. And He was seen alive from the dead. If you believe that good news, believe it by faith, then you can be saved from your sins. And that is the only way. And we encourage you to do so.